All right, go ahead and pull out your Bibles. Turn to uh, Luke chapter 10 this morning. Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to be. Uh, we are going to have a good morning hearing from God. Amen? A guy at the, the Hatch, which is the place where Sam and I have an office for what we do around here. Uh, it's kind of a co-working space in town. He asked me. I saw him. I said, hey, how you doing? He said, you know, I'm good. He's, and, you know, that kind of how you doing question where he's like, you staying out of trouble? You know, like, uh, you know. So he's like, hey, you staying out of trouble? And I was like, actually, not really. I'm talking about race this weekend at my church, so I'll be in trouble with somebody. He didn't really laugh, just kind of like you didn't really laugh. Because it's sort of like, it's like, ah, uh, okay. Cool. So, anyways, Revelation 7 says this. Revelation 7. I know I told you Luke 10, but you're good. Revelation 7 says this. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Something like, you have no rival. You have no equal. Anybody? Okay, well, I mean, I was just singing that song. I don't know about the rest of you. That's what Revelation 7 says. And Jesus, when he was here with us on earth, he, uh, some people asked him, Lord, how do we pray? And he said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, let he whatever is happening in heaven, let it come on earth. So racism and the events that happened in Charlottesville a couple weeks ago were awful. The speech, the fighting, the killing, the horrific actions of human beings... They're in a word, sad. There's so many things, and it is sad. Racism is not simply wrong, but apparently it's also anti-God. It is anti-heaven, and it is anti-Jesus. The kingdom of God is not colorblind. It is colorful. And if your utopia is a society of one nation with one language, you will not find it in heaven. And quite frankly, it will also make hell even worse. My goal this morning is to corporately and individually bring us to the Word of God so that we can each choose how to respond to Him. I pray that every one of us would come with humility this morning, that we would come with openness and we'd come with a readiness and an anticipation to be shaped. Yeah, Notice I didn't say to be right. <laughs> because we're all wrong about a lot of things. All of us, we're all wrong about a lot of things, and the truth is we all know a lot less than we don't know. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, but the gift of God is eternal life. In other words, in a world and in a room with so many different people from different perspectives, with different opinions and different experiences, we find common ground at the most basic level. We need Jesus. Your skin color your political view, your opinion, your education, your past, none of this is the king of kings. So I pray that we would all come this morning and submit all of those things to the king of kings. His name is Jesus. And this morning I pray that as we submit to him and we hear from him, we would submit all of these things to him and rightfully respond to him and honor him as the king of kings. So am I staying out of trouble no. <laughs> I love you so much, but I'm not here to please you, and I'm not here to offend you. I'm not here to agree with you. I'm not here to disagree with you. I'm not here to say what you want me to say, 
And I'm not here to not say what you don't want me to say. And hear this clearly, I for sure am not here to tell you my opinion on stuff. Dinner tables make much more effective forums for the sharing of opinions than do social media platforms or pulpits. Opinions are not what is needed right now. We need Jesus. And my goal is to preach the gospel of his kingdom and to make others great. Is anybody with me in the house of God this morning? I had a good friend tell me this week. He's here this morning. He said, in a war, there's a whole lot of battles, but sometimes you can only fight the one that's right in front of you. Fight this one. So would you please have grace for me this morning and understand that I know that in speaking about one specific injustice, a myriad of injustices go unspoken and unaddressed. Please join me just at least on this day in this battle. And from here, we can continue on together in the war. And also, please understand that this morning, what we learn from Jesus that applies to this injustice applies to every other injustice. What we learn from Jesus applies to everything one at a time and all at the same time. I think it's powerful this morning that in a world that's just looking for people to love one another, to have conversations, to exist together in the midst of disagreement, you showed up this morning to do just that. I think what you've chosen to do is powerful. And I'm thankful for your choice this morning. Ephesians 4 10, 4, nope, 411 says this, and he being Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry to the building up of the body of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20 says this, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled, somebody say reconciled, reconciled us to himself and gave us, say us, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we, say we, are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I love these verses. Ephesians 5 and 2 Corinthians 5, or Ephesians 4, I'm sorry. My job here this morning is not to share my opinion, but to help equip us for a ministry of reconciliation given to us by God. He is reconciling the whole world to himself through Christ. And we are Christ's ambassadors. So my hope this morning is not to prove anybody right or wrong, but to equip us to reconcile the world to God. As we do that, I know I don't think that these are opinions. They may resemble opinions, but I want to get a few short things out of the way that are tools that I've been learning to help me have better conversations. Anybody want to have better conversations? Yeah. Anybody think we need better conversations? Yeah. More people think we need them than want to have them. I just heard. <laughs> just playing with you. I want to give you five really quick short tools for how to have better conversations. So I want you to write these down. Number one, no news story is the whole story. 
Yes, we have a lot of problems in a lot of directions that need a lot of work, but the vast majority of people in our in the the vast majority of people and places in our nation right now are getting along very well with one another who are different. If you only watch the news, you would think that if a black person and a white person end up in the same room, they have to fight. But that is very far from the truth. <laughs> Number two, don't speak for them, especially if you haven't spoken to them. Whoever them is in your life, be careful how much you assume about them or think you know about them before you've ever had a conversation with them. Number three, no one speaks for everyone. No matter the name, the title, the platform, or the volume of an individual, no one speaks for everyone. No black person speaks for all black people. No white person speaks for all white people. No black person speaks for all white people. And no white person speaks for all black people. I've been hearing a lot of things on news and conversations. All black people think this. I heard a black person say it. All white people think this. I heard a white person say it. No one speaks for everyone. Number four, give everyone a break. No one has all the right words to say what they're really trying to say. And last, white people aren't racist. Black people aren't racist. Some people are racist. And that's the end of that. Let's dig into the word of God, amen? Can I pray again? Jesus, we love you. And I thank you that you unite us. I thank you for heaven. And we do ask God that in Indianapolis, in the United States, and in our world, let heaven come. Let your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. A colorful kingdom full of amazing people and teach us to have good conversations. And as we come to your word this morning, Lord, shape us, move us, mold us. We choose to come right now with humility, not with our credentials because we have none compared to the King of Kings. Speak, heal us, and move us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Anybody at Luke chapter 10? Awesome. I want to speak to you this morning from a title. If you uh, like titles, you can pull out something to write with. I want to speak from the title this morning, More Than Skin Deep. More than skin deep. In the midst of so much talk and focus on skin color in our lives right now, I don't know if you can hear it, but I can hear it. There's a whole lot of voices, hearts, and communities that are crying out that what they really want to talk about is more than skin deep. Is anybody with me this morning? You don't have to be scared. I'm not angry at anybody, and I'm not coming at you. We're on the same team. Amen? So I want to preach to you this morning from the title that's more than skin deep. Amen. The back is with me. There's a whole lot of people that want to talk about a lot more things that are more than skin deep. We're talking about skin color and specifically a lot about white skin and black skin. But the truth is that it doesn't really capture the whole narrative. Just talking about skin. People want to talk about history. They want to talk about experience, emotion. They want to talk about justice and fear. They want to talk about pain. They want to talk about dignity. They want to talk about value. In the midst of talking so much about skin, the reality is, is that what we are watching, seeing, and finding ourselves a part of is more than skin deep. It's more than skin deep. And Jesus, like us, lived in the midst of a very volatile social environment. He lived in the midst of corrupt politics. 
He lived in the midst of a socio in the midst of socioeconomic classes that were at odds with one another, and yes, a whole lot of racism. The Romans had come to town, were basically taking over the world, and so the Jews were at odds with the Romans. And the truth is, the Jews were at odds with just about everybody that wasn't Jews, especially these people from Samaria called Samaritans. Jews hated Samaritans. They hated them so much that even at times when going through Samaria would be the quicker way from one Jewish part of the country to another Jewish part of the country, most Jews would simply decide to go around Samaria. I mean, imagine something like that. And in this charged social, religious, political, and racist climate, in Luke chapter 10, a Jewish lawyer stands up and he wants to talk to Jewish Jesus. And he asks him what it takes to receive eternal life. They talk a little bit about the law, and Jesus tells them, well, go love your neighbor. And he says, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells him a story. Would you read with me in Luke chapter 10? And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, to put Jesus to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to the guy, you've answered correctly. Go do this and you'll live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So Jesus tells him a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, there was a priest who was going down that same road. And when the priest saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, lost my place, but a Samaritan as he journeyed came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him, take care of this man. And whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus turns back to the lawyer and he says, which of the three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, to Jesus, the one who showed him mercy. And so Jesus turns back to the lawyer and says, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. In the midst of this charged environment, this man steps up to the plate to test Jesus. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? I know the law says to love my neighbor, but who is my neighbor? That's pretty broad. So Jesus tells this parable. Jesus would tell parables a lot weren't necessarily stories that actually happened. They're sort of allegories, right, to represent what he was trying to say. He tells him this parable. The Jewish guy goes down the road. He gets robbed, and he gets left, half, left for dead after getting beaten. A Jewish priest, a big shot, walks down the road, sees the Jewish man on the side of the road, but walks on by. A Jewish Levite, another Jewish big shot, walks down the road, sees the Jewish man by the side of the road, but steps across and walks on by. A Samaritan nobody comes down the road and he sees the Jewish man. He binds him up. He takes him to a hospital. He pays his medical bills. And he promises to come back in a few days to pick up whatever has been added to the tab. And Jesus, at the end of this parable, comes back to the lawyer and he flips the lawyer's original question on him. 
in a lot of ways. The man said, who's my neighbor? Jesus doesn't tell the story and then turn to the man and say, whose neighbor was the man? He just turns and says, who proved to be the neighbor to the beaten man? It wasn't his big shot Jewish brothers, but the one who showed him mercy, the Samaritan. And Jesus says, don't worry about who your neighbor is. Just go do that. Don't live your life asking who qualifies as your neighbor. Go be a neighbor. Go be a neighbor. And trying to apply this parable to our lives right now, in our time right now, in our city, in our nation, in these moments, in this room together, and trying to apply this to our lives, I thought that maybe we could go over this story again, and maybe instead of the story having a bunch of individuals, let's, you know, it's already a parable, let's kind of make it more, more an allegory. You know, if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, you know, like people have names that are like whole groups or, or issues or realities or something like that. So maybe we, could, maybe we could, in an effort to apply this and say, God, what are you saying to us? How does this apply to us? Maybe we could kind of turn this into a little bit of an allegory this morning. Can we do that? Is that heretical? I don't think it is, but if it is, I'm sorry. We're going to work on it. So the man gets robbed and left for bed, the first man. We can name him oppressed. We can name him oppressed. He gets robbed and left for, bed, left for dead. We could say that this man represents those in our culture, in our society, and in our world who for one reason or another have found themselves on the side of the road in need of help. Regardless of the reason that they are on the side of the road, this is their reality. So to set the scene, oppressed is on the side of the road, and a priest comes down the road. The priest, we could name him Ideas. We can name him Ideas, religious ideas, philosophical ideas, political ideas. We can name him Ideas. And Ideas comes down the road and sees oppressed, and he walks by on the other side. And as I've thought about it, I wonder, why did Ideas walk by? Maybe ideas passed by because ideas does not care for the oppressed. But maybe ideas walks by because ideas cannot care for the oppressed. Maybe ideas walks by and does not help because it cannot help because ideas can only help you when you agree with them. Ideas comes and walks by but does not help. Next, the Levite comes and walks down the street, he sees oppressed. And we can name this Levite, maybe we can name him Law. Can we name him Law this morning? And Law comes and sees the oppressed and passes by on the other side. And maybe Law passes by because it does not care for the oppressed, but maybe Law passes by because it cannot care for the oppressed. See, you cannot legislate healing. You cannot legislate restoration. In other words, you cannot legislate a wound shut. Maybe that's why law passes by. Law matters. Law is significant. Law is influential. But just like a hammer doesn't build a house unless it's in the hand of a builder, law does not restore unless put in the hand of a restorer. Law comes down and sees the oppressed and walks by. And then the Samaritan. We can name him Other. We'll name him Other this morning. The Samaritan represents those who are different. They're different. They're different. They're from a different place than the oppressed. 
They look different than the oppressed. They may even have bad history with the oppressed. They may disagree with the oppressed, or they may just simply not understand the oppressed, but he is simply other. And he comes along the road, and he sees oppressed, and he has compassion. He has compassion. I want you to write that word down this morning, compassion. I looked up what this word was in the original language that was used, and it's like 137 letters long, and I can't pronounce it. But, okay, it's a joke. See, we're, we can, we're talking, right? It was long, but not that long. But this word compassion, what, what does this original word mean? This word could be defined in saying he had compassion. His, it's, his bowels churned. His guts were aching. He wasn't just being nice. This wasn't his personality. He had compassion. He, it, was, it wasn't in his head. It wasn't even in his heart. It was just deep down in his guts. He just had compassion. His guts were churning. He was aching for what he saw. I read, as I read this story and thought about the, the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan, as I thought about ideas, law, and other I wonder if maybe the only difference between the Samaritan and the others is not simply that he did do something, but maybe the, only, maybe the difference is that he actually could do something. Maybe he did something because he was the only one that could. Maybe ideas can't do enough partly because they can't do enough. Maybe law doesn't do enough partly because it can't do enough. Not only did the Samaritan do something, he could do something because he had compassion. He clearly wasn't in agreement with the oppressed. He didn't move because he was in agreement with the oppressed. He wasn't moved by his understanding of the oppressed. Maybe he was simply moved because he was not the oppressed. Maybe he did something simply because he was not the oppressed. He helped because he could help. And he could help because he wasn't the one on the side of the road. Simply by virtue of not being the one bleeding and left for dead on the side of the road, this Samaritan found himself in a place of privilege. He had no say about it. He didn't earn it. He didn't steal it. He wasn't at fault for it. He didn't even really know about it, but he also didn't reject it. He instead, he embraced his opportunity. He embraced the opportunity of privilege and he had compassion. To my white brothers and sisters in the room this morning, there is a lot of talk these days about white privilege. I don't know if you know this, but I'm white. And I understand, I know the defensiveness that rises up when you hear the words white privilege. Those aren't simply two words that mean what those two words mean. It has become such a loaded term. It's so political. There's so many facets. It's become complicated. And there's no way around the fact that there's plenty of people who have used the term as an act of hate. They've used it inappropriately. They've used it to cast blame. They've used it unfairly. But Jesus doesn't call us to be right about everything. He calls us to love and to understand. And the reality is, is that white privilege is a reality in our nation. Keep listening. 
Stay with me. Like I said, I'm not mad at anybody. Because in saying that, I'm actually not saying anything about you. You're not at fault for something. You're not guilty of something. You didn't do something. And you for sure aren't racist. Anybody not racist in the room? <laughs> you for sure aren't racist. But here's the thing. When you hear one of your black brothers or sisters make a reference to white privilege, it's simply a request that you recognize something. Not that you take blame or fault or anything else for something, but simply that you recognize something, and that is this, is different. It's different. It's different for us white people than it is for our black brothers and sisters. It's different. And we can get into all the nuances and have conversations that do need to be had, but that's not the point this morning, right? Maybe I could put it to you this way. Who of you, of my white brothers and sisters in the room this morning, if, giving the, if given the choice to be a black 20-year-old male in this country or a white 20-year-old male in this country would ever choose to be the black one? Or maybe I could even put it this way. Which one of you, if given the choice, would rather have your 18-year-old black son pulled over at 11 p.m. with his four black friends in the car or have an 18-year-old son pulled over at 11 p.m. with his four white friends in the car? Which of you would choose to be the parent of the black son? I'm not saying anything about you. In so many ways, it has nothing to do with you. It's just different. It's different. And if we want to be people who have conversations, who build bridges, we've got to begin understanding each other. And that begins with understanding that there's a lot that we don't understand. And frankly, probably never will. But the bridge is built by love in the midst. And before the Samaritan could help the man by the side of the road, he had to realize that he could help the man on the side of the road. He had to realize that he was in a place of privilege, not by his own choosing, not by his own actions or anything that had anything to do with him. He was simply privileged by virtue of not being in the position of the man on the side of the road. And before the Samaritan formed opinions, before he looked for reasons for why the man was on the side of the road, what he could have done to avoid the side of the road, and what he may even be able to do now to help himself from the side of the road, he had compassion and extended his hand. And Jesus says to us, go and do likewise. Now, as much as this applies to the racial tensions that we're experiencing in our world and in the United States right now, Jesus did not tell this parable to specifically address racial tensions in the United States in 2017. This is so much more than skin deep. This parable applies to racial reconciliation, but more than that, it is simply a parable about the ministry of reconciliation. It doesn't matter if you're red, yellow, black, brown, or white. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Because see, we live in a world that is bleeding and dying and figuratively laying on the side of the road, beaten and bound by sin. And as Christians, regardless of the color of your skin, you have a privilege, and this privilege is much more than skin deep. You have a privilege that you have been healed. You are privileged that you have been set free. And you are privileged that you have been filled with the spirit of the living God. 
And you are not called to be right about everything. You're not even called to understand everything. And you're definitely not called to know everything. But you are called to compassion. Will you live your life on Facebook trying to prove your points? Will you live your life ingesting only information and points of view that you already agree with? Will you live your life finding reasons to walk on the other side? Or will you have compassion? When you see oppression, when you see injustice, when you see sin, and will you reach out and show mercy? Will you reach out and show the mercy of God? In this parable, Jesus illustrates for us the lives that we are to live, not because of the color of our skin, but because of the blood flowing through our veins. This is much more than skin deep. And in this parable, Jesus illustrates for us the life that he came to live. This story is Jesus. In the midst of what we're talking about this morning and how offended you are about something I may have said or may have not said or the way that I've said it, do not miss Jesus in the story. In the midst of talking about race and the United States and your past and your experience, don't miss Jesus because this story is about Jesus. See, we were the oppressed, the ungodly, sinners. The Bible says we were by nature enemies of God. We were beaten, robbed, and bleeding, left for dead, not because of a system, not because of oppression, but because of our own sin, our own decisions, our own fault. We put ourselves there. Yes, we have a problem, but the problem is more than skin deep. It's the same problem that's caused every downfall of every empire in all of history. That's hurt every child, aborted every baby, executed every genocide, captured every slave and condemned every soul, produced every ounce of pornography, justified everything evil. We have a problem, my friends, but it is more than skin deep. And if it were a political problem, we could vote on it and we could rebuild. If it were a, a, a moral problem, we could legislate it and we could enforce it. If it were an ideological problem, we could just fight a war about it and kill all the bad guys and move on. But the problem is more than skin deep. If it was a racial problem, frankly, couldn't we just all go our separate ways and be okay? That doesn't work either. The problem is more than skin deep and there is no fixing it. The truth is there is only destroying it. And Christ became sin for us so that we could see what it takes to destroy this problem. It must be ripped, torn, stripped, suffocated, despised, rejected, shamed, mocked, mourned, and pierced. Your sin doesn't need to be addressed. It doesn't need to be adjusted. Your sin needs to be slaughtered. And Christ bore this slaughter so that you could become the righteousness of God. There are a lot of things that we need as a society and as a nation and as a culture. We need physical restoration. We need relational reconciliation, but we must start more than skin deep with absolute repentance. 
absolute repentance in our hearts. Because this is Jesus. He doesn't come to the side of the road and shame us, explain to us what could have been, should have been, would have been different. He has compassion. He says that he promises us that if his people who are called by his name will humble themselves, if we will seek his face, if we will turn from our wicked ways, and if we will pray, he promises to hear from heaven, to forgive our sins, and to heal our land. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. You must be born again and allow the old to pass away and the new to come as he makes all things new. Because God did not for God so loved the world that He didn't condemn the world, but He sent His Son into the world. He gave His only Son so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Jesus is not the lawyer looking to justify Himself. Jesus is God the King of kings and the Lord of lords, maker of heaven and earth, the name above every name. And when he looked down and saw a world that has put itself beaten, bleeding, left for dead, on the side of the road, missing out on everything he created them for, he did not step over and walk by and use as an excuse, I gave you a shot. I'm the king of kings. It's not my place. I'm clean, I'm pure. You should have done better. You should have known better. You should have, you should have, you should have. This is our God. He has compassion. From his place of privilege above us, he let his bowels churn and be spilled from a cross. And he poured out the blood that bought you back to make you new, to have the old pass away, to have the new come, to reconcile you to himself, but not only that, but to give you the same ministry of reconciliation. He did not simply reconcile you, he made you one who goes and does likewise. You are an ambassador for Christ. And God is making his appeal through you, not about your political party, your opinions, or any of the other injustices that we see in our world that we're trying to fix with ideas and laws first. We must have compassion. And we must be willing to show mercy when it costs, when we're misunderstood, when people don't like it, on both sides. Can I tell you, I've been there, and it's not comfortable. The cross is not a comfortable place, but we are called to carry it. And it is a place of privilege to carry the cross of Jesus Christ in a world that is dying to see it. You are a minister of reconciliation, called by God. And instead of being a lawyer who justifies himself, our God has compassion and he shows mercy. Will you go and do likewise? Will you go and do likewise? Will you go and will you do likewise? I want to invite you to stand this morning as we finish our time together.
Will you go and do likewise? This is the call of God on our lives. To submit everything to Jesus and see that we have an opportunity to reach our hand out. Not to people who are just of different color than us, but to every single person that you run into this week who's got something going on. And in 2 Chronicles 7, I quoted the verse earlier, but Jesus says, he's talking about the, the land of Israel. He says, if you find yourselves in trouble, if you find yourselves where things aren't going well, here's how you can get out of the trouble. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, they will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Whether you're right or wrong, whether I'm right or wrong, it starts with us. And when you read through this book, when you read through the story of Jesus in every page of this book, you see this gospel of the guiltless one standing in the gap for the guilty. And this church, I believe, is our time. It is our time. It is our time to have a voice. It is our time to have a stand. It is our time to make a way, not by our picket signs and our Facebook posts and our opinions and even our pain and even what we're right about and even what we're wrong about, but in our repentance, we have an opportunity to have compassion. A compassion that runs so deep that even when you're wrong, you fall to your knees and say, God, forgive me. Forgive us. God, we repent. Don't pray for their repentance. Become them and call out for repentance. Will we go and do likewise? Revival restoration, reconciliation. It's all started all through history with repentance. And it's all started at the altar. And it started at the altar. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up. The whole city is gathered. People of every race, nation, tribe, and tongue. And he preaches this gospel and he tells them some very hard truths. He says, Jesus was the one you were looking for. You all killed him. And instead of getting offended, people from every tribe and nation, they stood up and said, okay, what do I do now? Is there any hope left? And he just says, repent. Turn. Because Jesus died with arms wide open. And he came out of an open grave. Nothing stays closed with Jesus. Yes, there is an opportunity. So I want to invite us, the people of God, to turn our hearts to Jesus. Not because of a race or an opinion or because of anything but because we have a privilege to be called ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Be reconciled to God. We're going to do a song. It's called, O Come to the Altar. And I want us to sing this song as a, as a song over our city, over our nation. I want to sing it as a prayer. Oh, nation, would you come to the altar? Just come to Jesus. What a Savior. He's amazing. But it starts with us. And I want to invite you to come to the altar this morning. Not because I'm making you, not because somebody says you have to, but because you have compassion. And I'm going to pray, and this front is wide open. And I'm not asking you to do anything, say anything. I don't know what we do from here, but it starts with coming to the altar of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Is there hope in the room this morning? Can we do this? Is Jesus enough? What could happen with some people who come to the altar? So as I pray, I invite you to come. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray this morning. Would you hear from heaven for our nation? Would you hear from heaven for our world, Lord? Would you heal our land? Would you turn us from our wicked ways? Would you turn us from our excuses? Would you turn us from everything that keeps us from having compassion? And would you come, Holy Spirit, into the depth of our guts? And would you teach us to have compassion? Would we come to the altar and receive mercy so that we know how to extend our hand and give it? Lord, anoint us this morning to not be right or wrong, but to bear the cross and carry this ministry of reconciliation. Lord, we start with you this morning and we come to the altar and find you good in Jesus' name.